Recording in progress. Sorry, a roll call. Uh, Vice Chair Jennings, are you present? Present. Uh, Trustee Abbott, I see, is not here yet. Trustee Avasti? Present. Trustee Chandra? Pre present. Trustee Faulkner? Present. Trustee Linder? Present. And I am present, the Chair. And um, may I please qualify um, Trustee Jennings to participate remotely? Please. Thank you. Uh, Trustee Jennings, which address are you teleconferencing in for today? 855 East Tilton Drive, Boulder Creek, California. Thank you. And then is the location that you're teleconferencing from ADA accessible and open to the public? Yes. And if a, any member of the public wishes to be heard from us from that location, can they be heard? Yes. And have you posted the agenda um, outdoors or outside such that the public can be aware that the meeting is uh, teleconference from your location? Yes. Thank you. She's been qualified under the traditional Brown Act. Thank you. Thank you, Council Chin. And one more thing, because she is participating remotely, all votes must be roll call votes. Uh, yes, all, call, all votes will be roll call votes. We'll move to orders of the day. Uh, item 12D, uh, Louis, uh, Louis Gonzalez rescinded his service retirement application, so that is removed from the agenda. I would also like to move item 5E, discussion and action on merit increases, uh, to the first item under section 5. And then finally, uh, we have received information related to a performance evaluation of staff that came to our attention after the agenda for this meeting was posted, and we need to take immediate action. As such, I would like to propose a motion for the board to add a performance evaluation agenda item and I propose that the item be placed in the closed session because it involves a performance evaluation. This motion will need to pass by two-thirds vote for us to proceed to add this item. Do I have such a motion? So motioned. We have a motion from uh, Trustee Chandra. Do we have a second? Second. We have a second from Trustee Linder. Any discussion? Any public comment? If not, we will have a roll call vote. Then uh, uh, Vice Chair Jennings. Aye. Uh, Trustee Chandra. Aye. Trustee Avasti. Aye. Trustee Abbott, who is now here. Aye. Uh, Trustee Faulkner. Aye. Trustee Linder. Aye. And I vote aye as well, so it is added to today's agenda under closed session. Do you need a motion for the consent calendar? Uh, yes, we'll need uh, both wave sunshine and consent calendar. So, uh, no, we don't need to wave sunshine. There was nothing posted late. Uh, but do we have a motion to accept the consent calendar? So moved. We have a motion from Trustee Chandra. Uh, second. Second. Second from Trustee Linder. Any public discussion? Any uh, further comment? We have a vote. Uh, Vice Chair Jennings. Aye. Trustee Avasti. Aye. Trustee Chandra. Aye. Trustee Faulkner. Aye. Trustee Abbott. Aye. Trustee Linder. Aye. I vote aye as well. It's accepted. Um, We normally take uh, uh, public comment at the beginning of the open session. Is there anyone here, though, for public comment? Is there anybody online for public comment? Okay. If not, then I believe we will move next to closed session.
Recording in progress. We will resume, resume open session. Um, was there, there was no reportable action item from closed session A, or was there? There was. Oh yeah, that's right. So uh, if, if that I may, uh, Mr. Chair. So um, in response to closed session item 2A, the board did take uh, action to release a memorandum that was uh, provided to them with the closed session materials and that and to waive confidentiality on that. Um, and the uh, board had voted unanimously to do that. Great, thank you. And then for closed session item B, uh, there is no, no reportable action? That's correct. Oh, that we will discuss in open session uh, uh, the issue of compensation for executive staff. Closed session item C, which was added uh, just today to the agenda concerns a letter that was sent from the mayor to the boards requesting uh, an investigation into certain employee complaints at the o Office of Retirement Services concerning the performance or involving potentially the uh, performance of management and outside counsel Reed Smith. Uh, we discussed this action item in the absence of Reed Smith who recused themselves and a, a motion was passed with uh, five elements. One is to authorize an investigation uh, with an investigator to be uh, named or advised by outside counsel Hanson Bridget uh, to authorize a budget of $12,500 which we understand to be 50% of the needed budget for this investigation. Uh, I was authorized as a point of contact for the investigation. And uh, this action is also, uh, should be reportable, the investigation should be reportable to the board upon its conclusion. And all of these actions are contingent on police and fire taking similar action at their board meeting. Okay, with that, we will move to uh, I think we'll revisit uh, public comments. Are there any members of the public who wish to address us? They will have three minutes, either here in person or online. Okay, seeing none, uh, we will move 
approve the consent calendar has been approved. And we'll go to item number two, death and survivorship. Let's observe a moment of silence for those who have served the city and who have passed. Thank you. Move to item number three, investments. Uh, first item A is an oral update from our CIO, Mr. Polani. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Good morning, trustees. Uh, we do have three agenda items this morning. The first is our quarterly performance report, which also coincides with fiscal year end, which will be presented by Newberger and Nikita. And after that, we do have a recommendation on changes to the IPS that was discussed at the last IC meeting. And finally, a presentation of an investment fee report for calendar year 2022. This is something that we do in the fall. And after both boards have had a chance to review it, we take it to the city council in November. Um, so so I'll, I have you know, no further comments, but I'm happy to take any questions. And if there are no questions, we can move on to 3B. Uh, thank you. Are there any questions from trustees, members of the public? Hearing none, move to item 3B. Thank you. And may I invite Casey Boyer from Newburgh. Hi, Casey. Thank you uh, for having us. Um, I will just take a minute to share screen. Um, great. Um, well, again, we always appreciate having the opportunity to report quarterly to the board on um, the performance and, and investment pace of the program. Um, I might take just a couple minutes and give everyone a high level update of, of the market, the private equity market. Um, overall, things have slowed. So over the years 2021, 2022, the first half of 2022, there was a lot of momentum. There was a lot of investment activity um, that uh, moved through to a lot of realizations that we saw across um, private equity, but also within your portfolio. Um, the last half of 2022 and the first half of 2023 has been a lot slower, um, both in terms of valuations, but also in terms of assets that have actually traded and been sold between buyers and sellers. So, um, you know, when they're when assets are trading, they are still trading at full prices. Um, valuations haven't necessarily come down for assets that are high quality and that people want to buy, um, there just has been uh, a material decline in, in volume. Um, so while that hasn't necessarily hurt your portfolio, it has slowed down realizations. Um, in terms of the fundraising market within private equity, it has become a more challenging environment. And so we have seen private equity firms um, 
extending their fundraising timelines. A lot of them that thought they might close at the end of 2023 are continuing to be open into the first part of 2024. Um, and so with that, I will, I will jump into um, the presentation that we have today. We are reviewing the uh, presentation as of March 31st, um, so Q1 of 23. Um, and we have actually already released Q2, um, and so I'll give a little bit of an update there too. Um, for Q1, it really stayed the same as Q4, so there was not a material write-up or write-down. It was, it was pretty much par in line with what Q4 evaluations were. Um, the net multiple and net IRR you'll see here at the bottom of the page, again, really did not move from Q4 to Q2. We are continuing to invest regularly and commit um, according to the investment plan, uh, which we monitor closely with the um, investment team uh, at Campus A. Um, Again, distributions um, were not as high as they have been and, and as they were in 2022, and that is substantially because of the overall realization market within private equity. For Q2, um, the portfolio increased about 5%, so not a huge write-up, but definitely something. Um, and uh, we'll see that roll through um, some of these numbers when I'm presenting next quarter, but as a little preview, um, the portfolio was up slightly in Q2. Moving forward through the end of this year, um, we, we have seen an uptick in deal activity. That doesn't necessarily mean it will close and, and that we will start seeing uh, more of the in, uh, investment activity closing and realizations coming through, but we have seen more activity. We've been, uh, we've seen deal flow increase. And so if the end of Q, of into Q4, if we're not seeing that, we're expecting 2024, the beginning of the year to kind of see that uptick again. Um, I'm going to flip through some of these more detailed pages and take you to the um, overall performance summary and benchmarking analysis of the portfolio. So on page eight, you'll see the performance broken out by investment type. So in this portfolio, we're investing into primary funds, secondaries, and co-investments, which are direct investments into uh, portfolio companies. Um, and you'll see the performance here across uh, we've seen some strong early performance from some of the co-investments. Um, secondaries have done a nice job and have been able to distribute quite a bit of capital um, compared to what we've invested. Um, again, our target uh, for commitments by investment type um, have really stayed the same throughout the portfolio. Um, and right now is about 30% to co-investments and secondaries and uh, 70% to primaries. In terms of how the portfolio um, is benchmarking um, against peers, you'll see 
the benchmarks at the bottom compared to your net returns. So on an IRR basis, the uh, program is quartiling first quartile and on a net two BPI basis, second quartile. So um, happy with that performance. Um, still think there's a lot of runway and a lot of upside in the portfolio, um, but uh, still stacking nicely against, um, against a benchmark being up here. So with that, I will open it up for questions. I'm happy to answer anything on the portfolio or the market in general. Thank you. Are there any questions from trustees? Any? I, I do have a question. So Please, I'm just Trustee wondering um, how you think the sort of extended inflation, maybe higher interest rates might impact the future performance that we can expect. So it, it is a reason, it is a lot to think through both when we're making investments and when we're monitoring the portfolio. Um, those are two very important aspects of um, private equity investing. Obviously, the uh, higher interest rates do flow through to the portfolio companies and they, they do have higher interest burdens. Um, and so private equity firms are very, very active in monitoring their cash flows and their projections and how they're going to account for those highest higher interest burdens. Um, and it is something to watch very closely. It's something when we are making investments, it's a very, um, it's very high on our list of diligence questions and something that we're really analyzing ourselves to make sure these companies are not, um, that won't be a problem for them. Um, and of course, inflation kind of in the same aspect. And yeah. so, you know, private equity has been able to uh, provide great returns in all market types. And one of the good things about the private equity market is that you really can hold companies and exit when it makes sense. And that's exactly what people are doing right now. It's not um, in some instances the best time to exit. And so they're being patient and making sure their companies um, are able to show that they can work through these different um, you know, economic and market cycles. And so um, I think it's unclear how it exactly will flow through, but I don't think it's going to be a detriment overall to your portfolio. Thank you. I have a question. Trustee Chandra. Uh, Prabhu, maybe for you or for Casey or both. Um, given the slowdown in the LP activity and, and funds' ability to raise money, is it an opportunity if we want to stay on our pacing plan to extract better terms from managers? Yeah, well, I'll actually let Dinesh take that and then I'll add my, my views. It, it seems like something that should happen as managers have difficulties raising capital, but what we've seen in reality is that they're just buying more time and extending their fundraise periods, not making many changes on economics or legal terms also, which we face issues as we try to um, think, think about our own interests and protect it over the long term. Um, and there's still cases of managers like within this buyout program the first commitment that we've made so far in this uh, fiscal year is a fund that's probably going to only have one close. It's a really uh, highly <coughs> sought after fund. So there are those cases where 
Um, there's managers that have been doing well. There's a reason that they expect to continue to do well, and they'll be able to raise capital. At the other, other end of the spectrum, it's just taking longer to, to raise capital. And maybe those largest of managers that were raising the $20 billion plus funds, they're not able to raise as much. They may raise a, a few billion less than that. And if I may add, in venture, we've seen that you know there are funds that who did not want to speak to us previously are now willing to speak to them, and we don't want to speak to them now. Right? <laughs> so we see a little bit of that. Uh, so yes, it does put us in a in a better on a better footing when it comes to negotiating. Yeah, I, I seem to remember that call from high school. <laughs> <laughs> Any other questions from trustees or members of the public? All right, thank you. We'll move to item uh, C. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. May I invite Laura and Jared? Good morning, members of the board. For anyone that we've only seen so far on as uh, small faces on a virtual screen, I'll introduce myself. I'm Laura Weirich from Makita Investment Group. I'm based in San Diego, and I've been uh, working with the plan for over 10 years. And I'm joined by my colleague, Jared Pratt, who can introduce himself as well. Hi, everybody. Nice to get Zoom up and away, Squared away here. Hi, <laughs> uh, everybody. I'm Jared Pratt. Uh, I've been with Makita about three and a half years and, um, and working with um, San Jose Plants for most of that, about three years. Um, and I'm an investment analyst um, supporting consultants like Laura and Makita. And Jared is going to start us off with the private markets report. Move here to page. Um, and I'm sorry, this this particular report is a little annoying in that the page number on the bottom doesn't match the PDF count. <laughs> so I'm going to refer to the page number that's actually on the slide. Um, so this is page one. So this is a snapshot of the of the uh, private market assets. Um, there's a lot of numbers on this chart, but I'll focus you please on the on the two right columns. Um, so you have the IRR of the plan, the second to the right column, and the far right column. PME stands for public market equivalent. So we're just looking at what if these same flows have gone in and out of the applicable um, kind of public index assigned to each of these categories on the same days. And the great thing about this chart is you'll see that the plans IRR is higher than the public market equivalent in every single situation. Um, nice, uh, certainly nice performance from Newberger Berman who just presented that their outperformance is quite large against the public market equivalent if the cash flows have been timed the same way. Um, and then I'd also point out that the 9.1% IRR at the bottom um, is quite strong just in an absolute sense. If we continue on here to page two, um, we get in, into specifics of each component. So this is private debt. Um, private debt is slightly overweight the target, so it's at a 4.4% weight against a 3% target. I'd point out that about a third of the value of this is from the 2010 funds, which were committed to by prior staff. Um, haven't done the best from a performance standpoint and are, and are just slowly winding down. So that's a big reason for the overweight is, is those 2010 um, commitments. On page four, you can see this uh, year by year. So you can see that the uh, remaining value, uh, which is one of the middle columns, um, is largest for the 2010 10 funds as those wind their way down. You see that more recent commitments by current staff have done quite well. Again, looking at the IRR against this time, it's a peer IRR on the far right, uh, but you can see some nice outperformance there from funds committed to by, by current staff. 
We move on to the next section, which is real assets. Uh, this is more immature than others, so you can see an underweight here, 2.1% weight against a 3% target. Um, if you look at the bottom right number, you see a 12.8% IRR, which is really nice just in an absolute sense um, to have a number that, that big. Uh, on page nine, this groups all the um, commitments by Vintage Year. Here I'd point out that you know, we always talk about the importance of vintage year diversification. If you look at the two far right numbers again, you'll see numbers are all over the place just compared to each other. So this is highlights why we like to commit a little bit each year because uh, you never know um, how different the performance can be and it's, it's, it's a little more exaggerated than you might see it um, a lot of times just on this page. Moving on to real estate on page 12. Um, here we have an overweight again, uh, so 4% against a 3% target. Um, the IRR is, is pretty decent on the bottom right at 7%. There's individual investments on pages 15 and 16. Um, once down, I think on page 15, you'll see multiple DRA line items, um, and pretty much all of them have done quite well, uh, which is why staff continues to commit. Uh, you can see one of those more recent commitments here on page 16. I'd also point out Exeter, which is at the top of this, um, you know, fairly young fund, but off to a great start with a, an IRR so far north of 30%. And then finally, with venture capital on page 18, this is the youngest part of the um, overall program. You can see that it's underweight target uh, by quite a bit at a half, uh, you know, 0.5% weighting against a 4% target. Um, on page 20, you can see a couple of fund commitments in the last couple of years, but most of the dollar amount committed to in 2021. Um, and you see that even at the 2021 commitments that the contributed amount so far um, isn't too high. So these funds are calling, calling capital pretty slowly. All of these funds have um, you know, not material performance to report at this point, um, which is why there's, there's no performance yet to show, but that'll be uh, coming up pretty soon when we do feel like enough time has, has passed to show uh, a number there. So you should so look for that soon. But with that, I'll stop going to formal comments and see if anybody has questions across private markets. Thank you. And are there any questions from trustees? I have a question. Please go ahead. Uh, I know this has been answered before. Uh, so we are under allocated in venture. Where do we park the remainder of the allocation? Is it in a Russell? Go ahead, Janish. So previously we used the Russell 3000 as a proxy, but since then we're actually overweight towards private markets overall. So that was our previous proxy whenever we were underweight to privates overall. Right now, since we're overweight, it's really offset by other areas of the portfolio. So the largest offsetting overweight is in buyout. So buyout is overweight, venture is underweight. Okay, and but you do have dry powder, uh, are you, we, as you, make private investments in venture, you've got the ability to do that. We do, yeah, we continue okay. to follow the pacing plan, which gives us the ability to commit more capital. Yeah, the, def the default proxy to your question is, is the Russell 3. If we had cash, that's where we would put it. Okay. And your, your colleagues on the police and fire board, by the way, opted to put it in treasury bills. Okay. But that's another approach. Okay, thanks. Any further questions from trustees? Any questions from the public? Great, thank you. Let's move to the next agenda item.
Right, thank you. To get into the total fund performance report for the pension, I'll start on page five. <clears throat> Just to give a brief backdrop of the market as a whole, you can see that for um, the year-to-date period through June 30th, so the first six months of the year are on the right side here, and they're almost a mirror image of 2022. So 2022, every asset class was down except for commodities, every major asset class. And then if we look at the first six months of 2023, you see a lot of strength in U.S. equities in particular, but also non-U.S. equities, emerging markets really across the board. <coughs> Excuse me. As we sit here uh, in mid-September, mid to late September, um, the returns for this quarter, so since June 30th or this fiscal year so far, have been negative. Um, the S&P 500 has been down a little less than a percent, about 70 basis points since the end of June. There are only a few asset classes that have positive returns, those being short-term tips, high-yield bonds, and commodities. So luckily you have exposure to real assets um, and sort of the commodity complex through your private real assets program that Jared just mentioned. You also have dedicated allocations to high-yield and to short-term tips. So your fund has exposure to the the few asset classes that are performing well through its diversification. Um, but we'll, we have a, a great um, number in terms of return for your last fiscal year. But this one's off to a bit of a rockier start, and your CIO mentioned the performance update uh, in his comments. So with that, I'll skip to um, page 22. Um, just to mention, you all have a watch list. Any manager, according to your investment policy statement, that has three or five year underperformance is listed on the watch list, and you can see those three managers on page 22. I think it's important to note that all three of these groups might have had shorter-term underperformance, but since you hired them, they're all ranking quite highly on a continued basis within their peer groups, or in the case of Voya, relative to uh, its benchmark since you hired them. I will get into your asset allocation next on page 28. You can see that the total fund market value as of the end of the fiscal year on June 30th was hovering just below $3 billion, uh, $2.9 billion. Um, since the end of March, so for the second quarter of 2023 or the final quarter of the fiscal year, there was over $50 million in net outflows out of the fund and almost $90 million in investment gains. So definitely what we like to see that as benefits are being paid, investments are making up um, some of your, your assets. Um, I will point out in terms of the current allocations relative to policy, the public equity is underweight um, at 46.7 versus a 49% uh, policy, and private markets are overweight at uh, just under 24% relative to a 21% target. Not too far off, but I know that you heard Casey Boyer of Newberger Berman talk about how there's been fewer realizations. If you don't need to sell something into the market right now, you might not do so. And so we do see um, fewer exits or realizations and, and a little bit of that denominator effect where private markets didn't fall nearly as much as public markets last year. So we're comfortable with those um, relative to policy weightings, but wanted to point them out to the board for your information. On the next page, we get into performance. So for the second quarter of 2023, the total plan returned 3.2%, bringing the first six months to 7.1%. Um, we like to look at things um, over a full market cycle as well. If we take a look at the three and the five-year returns, you can see those total fund returns outperforming every benchmark that we look at, as well as the peer group. I will note that these numbers in the report are preliminary, and we do think that there's going to be a slight haircut of less than 10 basis points based on some fees that your custodian bank was not 
reflecting that they're working to rectify right now. If we do assume a 10 basis point haircut um, on, your, uh, on your five year number, so imagine that it was a 7.4% average annual return instead of 7.5, that only would change the peer group rank by 1%. So the peer group rank is currently 18th percentile, so best 18% of the peer group, it would fall to best 19% of the peer group if we do take that haircut. Um, so I know we'll get into investment fees later today, um, but even uh, once that, uh, that number becomes final, we expect it to be quite similar to what you're seeing in the report today. The full fiscal year return, um, congratulations, because it was above your actuarial assumed rate of return. So um, uh, your actuarial assumed rate of return is below 7%. The one-year return for this plan was 7.5%. So that is what we hope to see over the long term is that the fund outperforms your actuarial assumed rate of return. Um, in terms of individual asset classes, you can see their performance relative to benchmarks on the next couple of pages. I did want to highlight public equity. Public equity is an asset class that isn't known um, for being easy to outperform benchmarks. There's a lot of information in the market. Private markets is typically where you see more ability to outperform net of fees. But your public markets portfolio, which is um, led by Christina Wong on your staff, is, has been doing quite well. For the one-year return, you see outperformance of 140 basis points relative to the benchmark. And I'll get into um, some of the underlying causes of that uh, on the next few slides. Um, I wanted to take a look at page 30 at private markets and just point out again, you know, one of the reasons that you do see the overweight to private markets in the portfolio right now, if you look at the three-year return for private markets, this is an average annual return over the last three years has been north of 20%. So we did see a lot of um, protection in 2022. We may still see some write-downs, but I think the fact remains that private markets has done quite well, and that's one of the reasons for its overweight in your portfolio. Taking a look at page 35, I will skip ahead. I mentioned the public equity outperformance. A lot of that has been driven by emerging markets equity in your portfolio. So you see that the MSCI Emerging Markets IMI Net Index has had a one-year return of 3.2%. Whereas your emerging markets portfolio in the gray was up 6%, so almost double. And that holds true, again, over the three-year period. So the average annualized return for the emerging markets in your portfolio was 6.3%. The benchmark was only 3.6. One of the reasons for that, and I know we've talked about this during asset allocation, is more of a concentration in India exposure relative to China. China has been more challenged recently. They reopened and everyone thought that things were going to go quite well there. That hasn't been, been the case. And so if you take a look at page 36, you can see Kotak and Unify India, which are two dedicated India funds. Kotak has been in the portfolio for a couple of years now, whereas Unify is new. But if you take a look at the India fund returns relative to the, your other more broad emerging markets managers, they have performed quite well, and that's a big reason for that uh, public equity outperformance. Um, I will skip ahead to page 40 and allow Dinesh a moment to, to talk about one of these numbers. Thanks, Laura. So there is one number that stands out on this page, which is the real assets co-invest one towards the middle of the page, a negative 96% return. So we've shared the details with the investment committee and wanted to make it aware for everyone. So. This was a $1.2 million commitment to a venture capital-backed uh, company that we made in 2020. And this company at that time had a very attractive uh, profile and growth expectations. However, that company has underperformed its expectations since then, affected by the pandemic, 
and some of the inflationary pressures that, that have uh, persisted. So that company had to raise capital in 2021, 2022, during a time where it was challenging to raise capital, especially for a company that wasn't profitable at the time. So they ultimately raised capital at a lower valuation. The plan did not participate in that additional round of financing. So that resulted in this uh, write down. We took a more conservative approach in how much we marked it down, but wanted to point that out. It didn't show up on the private markets report since that's quarter lagged. You'll see it next quarter, but um, just wanted to make everyone aware. Thank you. Um, I will wrap up my comments on the full pension report on pages 56 and 57. So everything I've talked about so far has been a return perspective, but we like to look at a lot of different risk metrics as well. If you take a look at page 56, you can see in the left column that the three-year returns for your total fund, ranking in the 16th percentile of the peer group, have significantly outperformed the median. Um, if you take a look at the middle column here, we look at annualized standard deviation, which is a measure of volatility, and your fund's total volatility um, for those three years was 9.6. That ranks right around the median. Um, and then so if we look at the sharp ratio, you want a higher sharp ratio. The sharp ratio is a measure of risk-adjusted return because you're outperforming the peer group in terms of return, matching it in terms of volatility. That sharp ratio for the three-year period is right around the top quartile of the peer group of public defined benefit plans over a million dollars. And if you look at five years on the next slide on 57, that's even more pronounced because here you have not only outperformance on the return side, but less volatility than the peer group. And so you see a sharp ratio or risk-adjusted return in the third column that's um, in the top 20th percentile of the peer group. We have a lot of other exhibits in this report as well, but in the interest of time, I'll wrap up my comments there and take any questions. Uh, thank you. Any questions from trustees? Chandra? Uh, I'll make sure I've got this right going. I think it's slide 36 where you were referencing the two new India investments. Um, and uh, they seem to perform well relative to, to the rest of the market, but they seem to be below the MSCI benchmark. Do I have that right? Yeah. Yes, that's right. I think I do. Um, is there a reason? Are they, you know, it's a volatile market, so are they trying to uh, be less volatile? Actually, Christina can speak to that. I'll switch off to that for Christina. <laughs> Hello, Christina. Thanks for the question. Um, yeah, those two managers, Kotak, they are more concentrated managers, so that therefore their tracking area is a lot higher than we would expect from other like global emerging markets managers. Okay. So you will see from time to time they significantly underperform or outperform the benchmark. Okay, so the opposite of what I said. They, they're highly concentrated. They so, are highly okay. concentrated. Yeah. Thank you. Any other questions from trustees? Do you know how many no. uh, underlying stocks they hold? Um, so each? for uh, yeah, for Kotak, it's about twenty to thirty names, Ooh. and for Unify, it's even more concentrated. Sometimes even under twenty. Okay. And they, um, Unify has a lot higher turnover than Kotak, but Kotak is more um, like long-term investor. And also the other thing is they have some mid-cap or small-cap names. Um, so not necessarily those mega cap or large cap we see from all other global emerging markets managers. Got it. Yeah. And, and philosophically, you know, that's the kind of managers we look for. Sure. It's very high conviction. If we are having an active budget, 
we might as well use yeah. it wisely. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I don't disagree. Yeah. Just uh, if you're going to do India, really do India. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> and not just the Sensex. Okay, any, any other trustee questions? I have a question or two on page 29, looking at the aggregate uh, returns. Um, so this uh, 10, 10 basis point uh, haircut you mentioned, uh, do we fully appreciate and understand the sources of this haircut? Yeah, let me take that. Uh, Jay, please come to the hot seat. Uh, so, so I have to say, this, is a pro this was brought to our attention, mm -hmm. and the project is still underway. We know the source for sure, mm -hmm. and it's some separate account manager fees that are not uh, included. And the reason for that is typically manager fees are paid from the custodian bank directly, so it's automatically included. Mm -hmm. But in the case of separate accounts, uh, they're invoiced and paid separately through accounts payable. So we mm -hmm. follow city policy there. And there was some staff turnover, and so that fell through the cracks in terms of communication. We are working to find out exactly what the impact is. We think it's 10 basis points. Um, but we will come back to the board when we have a better handle on that, both to the IC and the board. Uh, yeah, I think that's. OK. So ha have we ring-fenced the, the issue? Can we believe it's no more than 10 basis points? We and believe it's no more than 10 basis points. We've also made a fix prospectively, uh, so we, once we found out, we, mm -hmm. we corrected the error in the process, so that's been taken care of. And I also have to mention that uh, when, when it comes to reporting fees, and this is manager fees, right? Mm -hmm. So you will see a fee report that we present later to the boards, and I can tell assure the boards and the city council that the fee report that I have presented to the city council every year in the last five years the comprehensive fee report does include all fees, including the 10 basis points. So it's more in the Makita report that uh, the error is shown. I see. So if it's in the Makita report, so if the, the errata is in the Makita report, but it's not in the fee report that we will see shortly. That is right. My question then is, is it reflected in our audited um, financials in terms of total assets and there, therefore the member and city contributions either in the past or going forward? This is when it's above my pay grade and I yield to Roberto. <laughs> okay. Thank you, Prabhu. Um, yes, uh, Mr. Chair, um, as Prabhu indicated, the report does include the manager fees, which actually means that from an accounting standpoint, we are actually recording the actual uh, assets based on the manager fees. The issue here, and again, I defer to Prabhu, he understands it much better, is about reporting the returns, not about the, the actual recording of the fees, which is done correctly, and, and as it's done correctly and recorded correctly in the books, then it doesn't impact uh, negatively the financial audit or the actual results of the valuation, which includes the mm -hmm. employer and employee contributions. Okay, so the, there should be no need then to modify past uh, FACRs or correct. That's my, that's my understanding. Mm -hmm. um, I just tested staff. Um, Benji, are you? Um, are you? Yes, I'm here. Oh, thank you. Uh, you are correct in saying that it will not affect the um, past audited um, reports. The audited financial statements reflect all the manager fees, including the ones that are paid through accounts payable, 
So those are correct. It's the um, investment sections. We take the Makita reports for those, but those are not audited, and that's stated in the um, actuarial, uh, I mean, I'm sorry, the um, financial reports. Okay, thank you. Well, that's very reassuring. Thank you, Benny. And um, even with a 10 basis point haircut, uh, that's not detract from our a five-year uh, aggregate return of seven point, potentially as low as 7.4%, which is well in excess of our discount rate, our expected rate of return of 6.625%. So uh, we're, we're still doing rather well compared to what our goals are. So I'm glad that this was caught and will hopefully be reflected the next time you appear yeah. before us. So because we take our the performance reporting from your custodian bank, which is best mm -hmm. practice, is to have your custodian mm -hmm. bank calculate performance. So the, your, your staff is working with them to make sure everything's reflected. Once they update, then our reports will be updated as well. Okay, great. Any other questions from trustees? Mr. Chairman, may I make Please? some general comments on performance? Mm -hmm. um, so you see the five-year number, and this is attributable to the current team. And so I want to uh, thank my team for, you know, for this performance. And I also want to make some general comments. So you see the three-year number is about 10%, 9.8%, and the five-year is 7.5%, and both of which are quite a bit above the actuarial uh, rate of return, which mm -hmm. I'm assuming a blended rate of 6.8%. So we've really done significantly better both on a three- and five-year basis. And the real reason for that, in my opinion, is good governance. And I have to, it has to go back to the police and fire board and trustees F9, Brennan, uh, Griarty, and uh, Andrew Gardenier. Only one of them is still here. And so five years ago, we embarked on an ad hoc project on governance, uh, which gave delegation of authority to staff. And of course, with checks and balances, and, uh, and that really made us a lot more nimble. And they gave us 96% delegation of authority and they just made it 100%. And it was also followed by uh, visionary trustees on your board uh, who supported, and at least one of them is here. Uh, Trustee Chandra is here. And that actually, we, we modeled ourselves after the Canadian plans. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, we, uh, we hired Tom Manucci and Cortex and the Canadian plans are, are well known to be among the best public plans uh, in terms of how they're managed. And so we really tried to model ourselves after them and part of that was, was good governance and delegation of authority with the appropriate checks and balances, which allowed us to be nimble. So the board supported in 2019 when I came and said we need to increase our low beta assets to 30% of the portfolio. And subsequently, the boards acted very quickly and supported us when we said we have to redeploy that low beta to high beta assets in March of 2020. And so I think that's really the reason. Uh, the support of the boards are excellent staff and consultants. And uh, you know, good performance is never long-lived, so I thought I might as well take a moment to shine some light on it. And future perf past performance is no guarantee of future performance. Mm -hmm. And in actually, Trustee Abbott asked the question. So I have to say, look, this is a very tricky time in the markets uh, with high inflation and high interest rates. And the Bank of Powell does not seem like it's going to cut rates. So if I were a betting man and I'm not, I would suspect that the next three to five year numbers will not look like this. Uh, they may actually uh, well be lower. Now, there are two things that could uh, actually uh, work in our favor and our returns may be good. 
and one is extraordinarily uh, good fiscal policy uh, from the government, uh, but we haven't seen that in two decades, so I'm not counting on that. Uh, the second is uh, extraordinarily easy monetary policy, and uh, certainly Mr. Powell doesn't seem to be in favor of that. Uh, but you know, strange things have happened in the markets before, so so that could happen. Uh, but I'm not counting on it. Uh, so we have to be vigilant. We have to work hard, and uh, you know, and, and performance is only good, uh, you know, till through June 30th. We've started a new fiscal year. We are down 57 basis points year to date. And so we'll, ought to, we'll all, always have to think about what's happening in the market and are we, do we have the right beta exposure or not. Uh, the good news is that we are long-term investors, so we have some advantages that retail investors don't have. We don't have to be reactionary, uh, but with your support, we have long-term policies in place and hopefully we'll follow them and continue to do well. Thank you. All right, thank you for your extended comments. I certainly agree that uh, Governance uh, has improved significantly, uh, even in the short time I've been here. And uh, fundamental is is our our decisions about how much risk and how much beta to absorb. That is that is the biggest uh, lever in terms of our performance. Uh, so with that, if there are any other questions from trustees, any comments or questions from the public? Hearing none, we can move to the next item. Right, this will be quick and to, to echo all the comments, you know, we can control process and governance, we can't control the markets. Um, so that's what we focus on is the process and governance. But in order to um, report further on the markets for your healthcare trust, this will be relatively quick because as you know, the healthcare trust is much smaller, it's 376 million um, and it follows the same general strategy and this uses the same subset of managers that are public markets as your pension fund. So if you take a look at page 26, you can see here the current balance as, as of June 30th was 376 million. During the quarter from March 31st to June 30th, there were $4.3 million in outflows and 9.1 million in investment gains. On the next page, um, which is where I will end my comments, you can see the total fund aggregate performance um, strong across the board outperforming benchmarks in nearly every case. And you can see within the health and welfare peer universe, um, top quartile or, or just about at 26th percentile um, for all trailing time periods. And as you know, your healthcare trust is a bit higher volatility than some of the peers. Um, it has an assumed rate of return that is not that much below your pension fund. Um, so we typically see in up strong market environments, really strong peer returns, and then often the opposite um, for, the, for when there's a, a down market. But Luckily, um, we've, we've seen markets go up over time, and this fund has done well. Great, thank you. Any questions from trustees? Any questions from the public? Hearing none, thank you so much. We'll move to the next agenda item. Thank you very much. Thank you. All right, thank you, Mr. Chairman. Uh, item 3F is some revisions to the IPS. Uh, this was discussed at the IC approved by the IC for consideration of the board. And really this is two things. One is cleaning up the IC in terms of some legacy, legacy language that does not apply anymore uh, in terms of hiring managers. And the second is to, is to reflect uh, this board's uh, move from a 12% risk level to a 13% risk level. Uh, with that, I will turn this over to Jay. I'm not sure if Eileen and Veris are on the phone.
Yeah, Eileen's on the meeting. Okay. And we're, uh, we're going to start with Eileen. Good morning, everyone. And uh, Jay is uh, positioned on slide eight, where we begin with the modest changes to the investment policy statement. And in under asset allocation tools and methods, um, section A, uh, what we did there was uh, clarify the language with respect to review versus evaluate and act. So the first sentence is clear that the uh, strategic asset allocation policy and the um, low cost policy will be um, um, established and modified basically every three years or so as the result of a formal asset allocation study or when a significant market correction occurs. The second, the additional language makes clear that although those are evaluated and you may potentially as a board act on revising the asset allocation on a three-year cycle, um, it is standard practice in the industry to review the asset allocation annually and using or applying the capital market assumptions that are published annually by the consultants and which um, are used in the asset allocation studies. So while you review annually your asset allocation policy to get kind of an update of where the expected returns stand under these updated capital market assumptions, there is no expectation of action. That, that occurs for every three years. And the exception to that is if, in fact, the results are meaningfully different from, say, 20% sell-off in equities, then that may prompt a discussion and evaluation. And then the other change I won't, um, I won't refer you to really occurs in the appendix materials related to the risk parameters. And as Prabhu mentioned, we did increase the risk limit, so we updated the policy to reflect that. And we removed the former Appendix C in light of the fact that those were operational, staff operational um, uh, uh, parameters and, and really didn't belong in a board document, more, more appropriate for staff policies and procedures document. That's all, I'll pause there and see if there are any questions. Any questions from trustees? I do have a question, but it's not about the changes. It's actually about the three things that are above the asset allocation that we're looking at. And when I look at this, I'm not sure where the expected return numbers come from. Because, um, if, for instance, if I look at the SAAP, the Strategic Asset Allocation Portfolio, it says the expected return is 7.8%. That agrees with the target that we set, um, that we see for, for this year. But I know that when we talked about our asset allocation for the future, we're looking at an overall return of 8.3%. So I thought, well, maybe it's this year. But then when I look at number two, the low cost um, portfolio, um, it says it's 7%. But when we looked at this year, it was 9.9. So I'm having a hard time understanding, and I know I've talked to Jay about this and I still don't understand it, 
what, where these numbers come from and how I can check whether these are in fact are right, how these com mm -hmm. compare to what we've done before. So yeah, if someone so can help me understand whether, <laughs> whether these are the right numbers to put in here about what mm -hmm. we expect. At, at, at the risk of providing you with another poor explanation, uh, <laughs> Trustee Abbott, uh, what we've decided to do is just eliminate the last sentence in each of these uh, one, two, three bullet points up top. There, there, there really isn't a purpose, I guess, to have a, a point in time uh, forward-looking return expectation in a policy document. Doesn't, doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. So uh, but just generally speaking, right, in the spring, when we look at our capital market assumptions, uh, yeah. There are projections provided, uh, uh, forward-looking projections, for how those different policy benchmarks are going to perform over the next you know, 20, 10, 20, 30-year horizon. Uh, and I, I believe that's what this number was for yeah. a given point in time here. Yeah. But uh, remembering that the reports we just saw from Makita, those are, are, are realized performance. Right. Right. And so there's, um, you know, they'll differ from the predictions to the extent that mm -hmm. any forward-looking prediction yeah. is, is not going to match actual reality exactly. And I think that makes sense and I'm just going to say if we're going to take it out and we're making adjustments now maybe we should also take out those lines. Yeah, yeah. So, no, so that mm -hmm. future people aren't confused about where are we, where did they come from and how do they compare to now and so on. Yeah, certainly my mistake. I meant to strike these out. Uh, so for Again, bullet points one, two, and three up top, the last sentence, the expected return, and so on, that'll be deleted. Thank okay, you. So, so can we vote and approve that at, at this, at today? Yeah, when yeah, we take action, we can, yeah. Okay, so. Uh, uh, I have a question. Yeah, first of all, I just want to say uh, Trustee Abbott is, is entirely correct. There's no need to codify these numbers in a policy document, and they just reflected probably mm -hmm. the numbers yeah. that existed at some right. previous point when the, when the policy was drafted. So, and it changes every year. But Trustee uh, Avasti, please go ahead. Uh, can you explain the usage of Appendix C and the rationale for its deletion? Yeah, that might be better for Eileen, but uh, let me na navigate there. <coughs> Appendix C was just the risk. Yes, so those were, um, prior, those were established, I think it was prior to the current governance where staff has the implementation authority. And so given now that staff has that implementation authority and the board has the risk targets, this becomes um, an unnecessary um, set of parameters. And so um, while these are monitored, I mean, they are monitored, by staff, they are really more operational in nature because of the fact that um, you know it is staff that is monitoring these and has the ability to um, potentially adjust their risk profiles if they if they feel that they're not within the expected range and and, and really the the risk profiles for these different parameters are pretty static. So the risk parameter that we are now following is the 13 percent is what is yes, and that is really the top line and the, the top the portfolio okay. forecast risk and that is embedded in the policy in and in, in i think it's appendix a or b yeah so so just to add something to this this goes back to a prior regime 
before we enacted the governance reforms, <coughs> when the CIO and the IC had the power to do these things, right? To, to change, uh, to operate within a certain amount of portfolio risk and beta and so on. So as part of the governance, we changed the structure. Now, only the boards have the authority to actually change the risk levels. And in exchange for that, we gave the investment team the authority to actually execute the board's decisions in terms of manager selection. So we no longer operate under these zones. Okay, thank you. Any other trustee questions? I have a question going back to the initial uh, red line that you presented. I forgot what page that was on. Eight. Eight, thank you. Um, so when we say the strategic asset allocation is reviewed annually, but what exactly was the language about every three years? Uh, so every three years, you actually undertake a process that's an asset allocation study where you look not only at the current policy under the current capital market expectations, but you also are likely to look at alternative policies that you may consider in light of this, um, you know, the, the cycle that we're now in for that three-year period. So that is common in the um, among your peers to undertake that more in-depth asset allocation exercise on a three to five year basis. What we observed was that this was actually happening more frequently, sort of the annual review also encompassed alternative uh, policies for comparison purposes. And so in order to make this very clear, um, the, the current policies only will be presented under the updated capital market assumptions on an annual basis. And then every three-year period, the board will be asked to consider a broader set of policy alternatives, which you may or may not choose to um, act on. So this strikes me as a significant departure from what we have been doing uh, during my tenure, and that is we've always looked at the existing allocation and some alternatives. So now we're suggesting that we not look at alternatives uh, on an annual basis. Yeah, I think it's bad practice to look at alternatives on an annual basis, and one of the reasons we did that when I actually joined was because I felt that the asset allocation did not reflect the appropriate level of beta, and until we get to the appropriate level of beta, I thought we should just look at it every year. Now, this does not mean that when Makita real, uh, you know, releases its revised capital market assumptions in January 2024, we will not look at our existing strategic asset allocation with those revised CMAs, right? Mm -hmm. It's just that it almost got to the point where we were forced to give you know, four different alternatives to the board, and it really didn't make any sense when it is also a departure from peer practice and best practices. But this does not in any way take away the board's authority either in February when we bring this to the board or at any time during the year to change strategic asset allocation. It's entirely up to the board to do it any number of times. But I'm trying to set the tone here, at least in terms of language, that there be some discipline and long-term orientation. And that does mesh with, if you mm -hmm. recall, 
Mr. Chair, when we undertook the risk tolerance survey earlier this year, we asked questions about how frequently the asset allocation decisions should be made, and, and the responses were unanimous that it should be, um, the board should assume a long-term horizon and really not look at asset allocation um, less frequently than three years. In fact, the number of you indicated five years or more. So again, what this language and what your practices will do going forward aligns you with best practices in the industry, more akin to how your peers um, uh, function. Uh, I have no doubt that uh, as trustees we voted to have a long-term orientation and I see no reason to offer alternative uh, asset allocations just as a pro forma activity. However, I think we should have the freedom to look at them in any particular year uh, when it's appropriate, even if that's every year for a period of years or every two years. Uh, and certainly when there's turnover of staff or otherwise. So I, I can't say I'm completely comfortable with the language then as it's written or the intention. But we couldn't, I couldn't agree with you more. This does not in any way take away the board's right or the IC's right to do this, to make the change at any time, right? This merely reflects best practice in the, in the business. And uh, Trustee Horowitz, you or any trustee on this board who, who's not even on the IC can come and say, please, you know, I have a suggestion, let's take another look at something else and we will run that analysis. It, it got to a point where every year I would bring this to the, to the IC and the board by just tweaking the existing asset allocation, which didn't make any sense. In the last three years in a row, I've said, I'd actually like to stick to the existing asset allocation. So it's merely trying to bring, again, this is all part of good governance mm -hmm. and setting a long-term tone uh, to what we do. If you want, Certainly a, a sentence can be added to this which suggests or states that the board and the IC have every right to request a change at any point during the year. If, if, you, if you feel more comfortable, we can certainly do that. Um, I think I'd be more comfortable. The fact is we have not changed our asset allocation uh, over the past three years. Uh, we are not in the habit of changing it. I see no reason to make homework to ask the uh, investment staff to offer alternatives that are just mild uh, variations on a theme. So you should feel free to offer the same asset allocation year after year. However, I see no reason to specifically reference a three-year cycle uh, if we're not going to adhere to that either. I think it should be simply under annual review, full stop. Well, I think a three-year deep dive is actually good practice, and that's what the best public plans do, which is why we have a three to five year cycle. Uh, but if you don't want to follow that, I'm completely okay with that. I mean, we, we don't need to adopt any of this. The, the important thing is the current staff and current trustees will not be here for three, four, five years from now. And through these documents, we're just trying to establish that we are long-term investors and that we follow best practices. In and, and if I could um, add, uh, 
I, I think what this language does is that every three years is a discipline. It says that this deep dive will be undertaken every three years regardless, which again, as, as Prabhu stated, is in line with industry best practices. What the additional language does though is it, uh, it, it prevents that sort of creep, if you will, of um, uh, staff undertaking that extra effort, including those policies and maybe the board feeling like they need to act because they're given alternatives. So in this, what these practices do is it provides more discipline and more structure. Uh, does a long-term perspective take away your ability to recommend to the board any changes in the allocation if you see any inflections in the market or macro level policy changes? That, that's a great question. It does not. In fact, uh, this morning, I sent an email both to my team as well as to Makita uh, to look at, you know, uh, you know, the liquidity of treasury notes that actually expire in November 2024 and to look at the, you know, our exposure in public equity uh, and to have a discussion internally on whether we should be looking at SAA. So we do a lot of behind the scenes work on tweaking these things, uh, but it rarely comes up uh, because then we come to the conclusion, usually after all these detailed analysis, that it's not worth the transactions costs and our ability to make changes. So we certainly, it does not take away our right to recommend to the board at any time that you take a look at this. Okay, so this language will still allow you to. Yes, okay. and, and we do it in practice as well. Yeah, could I share some comments? Please. Um, I, I support this policy change. Uh, and uh, one of the reasons why I support the policy change is uh, giving people uh, an opportunity every year to make change. Uh, uh, I've noticed in my tenure has encouraged people to wa want to make change for a plan that is fundamentally long-term. And all the stochastic modeling that we get from Makita takes into account various drawdown scenarios, various interest rate hikes, all that sort of stuff. And trustees are in the habit of what they've read or seen lately in the last two or three months, picked up a newspaper, read a paper, and, and to opine on asset allocation based off of that. We won't be here. There will be turnover. Um, it would be really important, I think, culturally to establish that that is not a good practice to be revisiting uh, asset allocation every 365 days when your point of view is 10 years, 20 years, maybe even 30 years. It's pure best practice. Um, so I think we should try to move the plan in that direction. Uh, we were doing it annually at first because we had a lot of issues before the current CIO and his staff were put in place. Um, so there's been a baby steps process to get us to a plan that reflects best practices among the best performing plans. And I think we're prepared to take the remaining steps. I believe a lot can be uh, swept under the rug of best practices. I would be much more comfortable if we had language stating the formal asset allocation study will be undertaken whenever staff and or the board feel appropriate. That would allow it to happen every three years, every 10 years, or every year as conditions change. Mm. Uh, in the past, this board and this fund has not performed optimally thinking prior to five years ago, and there are reasons to, to look at this at least annually, and if we are reviewing it annually, we should be in a position to recognize that we are can change things annually. 
The fact is, during my four-year tenure, we've changed asset allocation exactly once over the course of four years. So this board is not abusing its uh, purview to look at and change asset allocation. And we should recognize that we are long-term investors, but as long-term investors, we need to look at least annually at, that, at the asset allocation, which is fundamental to the returns that we earn. The most fundamental issue is asset allocation. And that we can feel free and not feel like it's a burden or somehow outside best practices to modify that whenever uh, it seems appropriate. I'm going to disagree with the chairman even though he's my boss. At your risk, sir. <laughs> yes, it is at my risk. But I think, I, I don't see anything in here. I mean, look, we, need, we could have just left it here and just come to you and said in February, look, we don't, we're not going to suggest any changes and nothing, mm -hmm. would have, nothing would have happened. All I'm trying to do is establish, at least in language and practice some, you know, and leave for, as you said, this board has been very disciplined in the last four years. Future boards may not be. And I'm just trying to protect the plan uh, from, you know, future trustees who, know, who may not be as knowledgeable as the current set of trustees. Well, Trustee Horowitz referenced the plan prior to five years, and there were almost annual changes to the asset allocation. I, I would argue that was one of the, the factors causing some of the problems in the past. We had 25% in hedge funds at one point, mm -hmm. and that was a strategic asset allocation change. And there was no protection for anybody, right? And you know mm -hmm. the, the, the result of that. So. Anyway, this is just my two cents. You're the board, and mm -hmm. uh, you have the final say, though it looks like our council wants us to. Yeah, I just want to have a quick clarifying question. So the red line is the only change that we're proposing for the board to consider as a change. So the language here, for example, the three years was existing language that has been in our ideas before. The only change that we have here is that the asset allocations would be reviewed annually to reflect the capital market assumptions. So um, that's the only change, as far as I'm understanding it, that that's being asked of for the board to approve. Is that right? That is correct. Mr. Chairman, if I, if Please. I observe uh, as a classic wordsmither, <laughs> um, <laughs> what we've got here is the first sentence takes one of your positions and the second sentence takes the other of your positions, and we've got them conflated in the same thing. Mm -hmm. Here and so, because the first sentence only refers to a formal asset allocation study that's going to be undertaken every three years, I, I would suggest you first decide: Do you want to do that? Do you want to have an asset allocate a, a formal asset allocation study every three years? <coughs> and so, do we want that first sentence? If we do, the second sentence seems to take care of the concern of the chair which is that the same things, the LCPP and SAAP, will be reviewed annually to reflect capital markets assumptions used in asset allocation studies and published annually. Mm -hmm. So it, there's, we're not limited to the three-year. What we're saying is at least every three years, we're going to do a formal asset allocation study but we're also going to review this annually based upon capital markets projections that are done annually as part of an annual asset allocation study. Right. Um, maybe the whole thing needs just, again, some wordsmithing because, frankly, 
I, I see a default setting and then an opportunity, a default setting that supports the CIO's position of belief and a opportunity setting that achieves what the chair wishes, which is not to be bound not to look at this if circumstances require us to look at it on an annual basis. Long way of saying maybe we can, I mean, if, if you want both, if you want the flexibility of both, you want the flexibility of looking at asset allocation annually, but you want to make sure that you do it formally at least every three years on a cycle, that shouldn't be too hard to write. Well, given that the red line that is in the uh, attachment is up for vote, uh, we can go ahead and vote on the existing red line right. uh, with the understanding that we can uh, propose further changes to the IPS, first of all, along the lines that uh, Trustee Abbott pointed out, as well as the what I am talking about here. So I'm prepared to to move forward with a motion on these changes, although I think we still have other changes to discuss. A couple more. Okay. <laughs> uh, but I would like to revisit this language about three years. <coughs> so, what else have you got in store for us? <laughs> yeah, so, the rest of the changes, it, it, it might look a little busy. Uh, but they, they have to do with basically updating the manager selection process for um, the, the current level of staff discretion. So some of this language uh, kind of remains from the period when the um, uh, manager search process was, was different than it is today. So today, as probably noted, uh, staff has a, a large degree of discretion in selecting managers. Uh, bullet, um, bullet point one here had the uh, concerned a quiet period. So you might uh, you might be familiar with this from other positions or other contexts, but uh, the, the, this clause was in place to prevent or uh, help eliminate any kind of outside influence uh, impinging upon staff as staff tried to make a decision between um, you know a, a short list of, of strategies. And so the idea here was to present uh, prevent say. Um, you know, uh, a, a, a marketing person or, or someone from one fund or another contacting one of the trustees and then the trustees in, in turn kind of leaning on uh, Prabhu or staff uh, to make a, a decision one way or another. Um, and so what we've done is kind of cleaned up the process here um, and uh, <coughs> made it clear that going forward, uh, staff would be notifying the potential uh, manager of the existence of this quiet period, uh, no contact policy, so that they uh, should not be uh, reaching out to you all um, as, as kind of a way of exerting influence uh, uh, on their selection. Uh, <clears throat> so the next change then is the elimination of bullet point four. If you read bullet point four, it, it, it really overlaps with bullet point three, uh, except for the kind of preamble of in the case of private markets. And so just uh, for the sake of brevity, we're striking four and, and letting three speak for the, the entirety of the program. And the last change I wanted to note here uh, has, has to do with how the investment committee is notified of changes to um, 
the manager lineup. And so the current process is we, uh, staff provides the uh, investment committee every six months uh, an update of all the changes in capital allocation to the active strategies uh, across the plan. And so there's a listing, I think it was last month's uh, IC meeting actually, the, there's a listing that the IC gets of all the incremental uh, redemptions and fundings for active strategies. And that's, that listing includes fundings and redemptions, um, uh, full fundings and redemptions, so new hires and, and terminations. Uh, we're also uh, adding this, the, the, the preamble here, at the request of the investment committee, written affirmation uh, from the CIO will be given to the, uh, the IC that the selection of that strategy that, that would be listed on that kind of, um, that, that schedule every six months, the selection of that strategy conform to current policies and procedures. That's really it. Thank you. Any questions from trustees on this set of changes? Okay. Would you like to say something to no, see how you're I was just hoping that when you comment this action, that you also just clarify the changes you need uh, when we approve, if you guys are approve this. Well, I would propose that we have a motion to approve the changes currently redlined and that we revisit other changes that were discussed here today. Oh, you want to defer this? I, no, I want to accept the current red line, but there are other changes that have been suggested, or deletions, frankly, uh, that I would like to propose and review in future. Okay, I mean, we know what Trustee Abbott's proposing, so we mm -hmm. can, you can actually include that in the current. Right. Is, so we, is that we, so? We could. Uh, Accept and adopt and approve the um, policy as amended by uh, Trustee Abbott's comments. Okay, I think those numbers are also referred to <laughs> elsewhere in the document. Oh, are they? Yes. Yeah, it's, some a remove, it's a removal of the, just for the record, it would, the motion would be to accept the recommended changes proposed mm -hmm. plus the removal of the last sentence in paragraphs one, two, and three on page eight of the red line. But I think Spencer's point, or Chair Horowitz's point, is that those numbers appear elsewhere in the document as well. Well, I saw some examples when right. I was Right, let me court, find where they are. Don't necessarily say that these are numbers. Yeah. So I, I thought I, they were fine. On page yeah. 11, they are yeah. referred to uh, again. Right, so. Um, You're suggesting that the motion includes those plus whatever any replacing the policy where Right, right. So the, the concept that um, Trustee Abbott had raised that we should exclude the, cur exclude the current expected return numbers um, as an amendment to the policy at wherever they, they yeah. appear. And I just wanted to say, um, Chair Horowitz, that mm -hmm. the, the thing on um, page 11 says these are hypothetical returns. Mm -hmm. So they aren't saying that these are expected returns. Right. So I'm fine with this language. Okay. Uh, so I wouldn't suggest that we change that. We could okay. still go back and decide if we want to later, but I think my, my recommendation mm -hmm. um, would be um, on page eight. Would be on page eight. Okay. okay. Gotcha. I think we probably should correct page 11 as well, but we again can do that. Well then in terms of the language that I would propose under asset allocation tools and methods, item A, I believe the language I would be comfortable would be the LCPP and SAP, SAAP shall be established and modified based on the results of a formal asset allocation study performed 
whenever requested by staff or the board, but no less than every three years. Okay, yeah. so Julie noted. So it sounds like that may be the only point on which there's any further discussion, although we can, uh, if there's a motion to accept the red line with the changes I just outlined as well as uh, the other items on page eight, if we have a motion and a second, then we can dis debate the acceptance or declination of that motion. I'll make the motion. Uh, yeah, I'll second. Okay, so we have a motion by Trustee Linder and a second by Trustee Jennings. Is there any further discussion on that language for so, the modifications? So just for the clarity of the record, the motion that's currently on the floor includes changes from Trustee Abbott as well as uh, from Chair Horowitz. Is that correct? I believe so. Okay, thank you. That's my understanding. That's my understanding. Any further uh, discussion by trustees? Any questions from the public? Okay, we'll have a roll call vote then. Uh, Trustee Faulkner? Aye. Trustee Abbott? Aye. Trustee Linder? Aye. Trustee Chandra? Abstain. Trustee Avasti? Aye. Trustee Jennings? Aye. And I vote aye as well. The motion passes. Good discussion, Mr. Chair. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Try to make it lively. Oh, Trustee Horowitz, <laughs> I have to leave now, so. Uh, very good. We will uh, miss your participation in the coming sections. Things uh, did take longer than we expected. Uh, are we in need of a break here for anybody? Um, I'm seeing some yes nods. So let us take five minutes and then reconvene for the long-awaited and highly anticipated fee report. Thank you. <laughs>
Recording in progress. Thank you. And I believe we're ready for item uh, 3G, the investment fee report. Good afternoon, trustees. Uh, I think that provision. So this is an annual uh, fee report that we present to the boards and then it's taken to the city council. And I shouldn't actually call it a fee report, it's more an expense report because it's comprehensive. It not only, not only includes fees, but other expenses as well, including consultant fees and uh, the vendors that we use for data and research and so on. So it's a comprehensive expense report. And uh, with that, be kind to Eric. This is his first board presentation, <laughs> as I'm sure you will be. Uh, but he will be ably supported by uh, the two senior uh, investment officers. Hello, trustees. Please my two bodyguards right next please, to me. Please proceed. We're normally a pretty friendly group. Oh, okay, great. Thanks. Um, so um, I just wanted to let you guys know there, that there should be two documents you should have received. We're going to go through one of them today. The other one, the one that you see here is the federated annual fee report. It's a little bit... Uh, there's more verbiage and details, so please feel free to review that um, after or mm -hmm. you know before the this discussion. So we're gonna gonna proceed now to the actual fee report itself. Let me just share again. Stop share. So this is the few, oops. All right, so the, um, the fee report is something uh, that we do on an annual basis. We've been doing it for the last, I believe, eight years. Uh, so going back from 2015, 2016, all the way to this year. And uh, it really encapsulates all fees um, uh, that have been charged to the plan. Which includes our staff, you know, our, our, um, all the research, all the travel costs, the custodian fees, the consultant fees, and so all of, as well as the manager and uh, all the manager-related fees, which includes the management fees, the incentive fee costs, as well as the operating costs uh, borne by the, borne by the managers. So this particular. PowerPoint slide, even though all of that's included in the fee report itself, this is going to be focusing mainly on the manager-related uh, fees. Okay. All, right. Um, all right, so let's proceed forward. So on the left here, we have a, a total expense ratio. Uh, we'll go over dollar amounts a bit later, but basically this is the, the main things to understand is we're focusing on manager related fees and it's it's a comprehensive and it's calendar year based so this is 2022 for all of 2022 what are the management fees and as well as operating expenses and, and the um, incentive costs so this is how it looks like for the last five years uh, with the returns for the calendar year um, stated below Right, so this is just for pension, and 
you can see, of course, during uh, throughout the last uh, year, 2022, uh, um, as, uh, as we've experienced the, the markets returned a, um, a negative, had a negative return. Uh, so therefore, uh, what we see is a, a drop in our incentive fees, um, reflecting that, and uh, a drop in our overall total plan fees from 1.66% to 0.94%. The, the chart on the right is basically a, something that we download from a website where we're able to compare, uh, do a quick competitive chat, uh, check on how our fees are compared to our, our sisters and brothers or other plans that are um, in that database. And so out of 23 plans that are either three to $10 billion in AUM, or if it's a California public pan, plan, we are, uh, you know, other than CalPERS and CalSTRS, we're definitely on the lower side, on the lower end. The reason why CalPERS and CalSTRS might have uh, slightly lower expenses or uh, management fees is because they, they manage um, in-house a number of their uh, uh, assets under management. So of course their expenses would be lower in terms of management fees. Uh, just one more thing to note, again, uh, the, the chart on the right with the peer ca comparison is on a fiscal year, fiscal year basis. So therefore the, the returns you see um, on the left and right are gonna be different because the end date are, are gonna be different. A quick question going back to those charts. Yep. So on the left, we have total expenses. We're kind of averaging about, you know, 120 basis points. And then on the right, we are mostly below 50 basis points. So what, what's included in one and not included in the other? What, what's the difference? Yeah, so the, the, the one on the right is mainly uh, focused on uh, expense ratios uh, I, I can jump in. So the ACFR on the right is just based on the financial statements of each of the public pension plans. These only reflect fees that are invoiced and observable, so that's why these ratios are lower. What we're doing on the left side with the fee report is getting the fees for every single manager, even those that are being deducted from the, the returns and statements that we receive. So the, the left side is the comprehensive amounts. Mm -hmm. The right side is just shown as a way to do some kind of apples to oranges comparison because that's what we have. There's okay. only a handful of plans that produce a report similar to what we have, which is shown on the left side, which really encapsulates all fees. Okay. Thank you. So how we, and going back to that point, um, when we uh, collect all the fees, we're collecting them from the manager statements or um, fees that are provided by the managers themselves. We don't collect it from the custodian. So all of that is born directly from information directly is sent from the managers to our, ourselves. This, uh, the second page is, is a reflection. Um, we have already seen the total fees in percentage terms. Now they're in dollar terms. So uh, 47.7 million is what were the total fees in 2021. In the calendar year of 2021, it's dropped to 26.6 million. Uh, dollars for the calendar year of 2022. 
So the, the focus on this should be, uh, you know, as markets go up and down and there are good markets, there are bad markets, uh, the market will do what it does. The focus is really focus on what we can control, which are management fees. And management fees are a function of a couple things. One of it is the policy, the, the allocation, asset allocation. Um, an another, uh, what, what we'll see uh, in a little bit later in the future pages is it's also a function of active, passive within each one of those, uh, uh, within the asset allocations. So here what we see is uh, for the, the thing that we can control, which are the management fees, um, the management fees has dropped throughout the last eight years uh, by 19 basis points. Um, so if you go here, lower management fees, so this is a, di a dive into management fees. Well, what is it driven by? What we'll see here is uh, the, the actual active allocation uh, on the left side, on the left chart, the contribution by active, our active allocation, uh, active managers has increased, right? And therefore, our fees uh, have increased. Uh, as it relates to the passive manage, uh, passive allocations uh, for our for the, for the pension plan, they those have remained the same. The contribution to the management fee. And on the on the chart to the right, you'll see that um, again our our uh, the chart on the right represents our actual ac allocation uh, active versus passive for our total uh, pension and uh, our active, uh, our allocation to active managers have increased from 53% to 58%. So this uh, chart, this, uh, this page is going to go through uh, sort of contribution to management fees as it relates to public, private versus hedged. And you'll see that the actual public, uh, the, the, co the contribution to, uh, to the management fees from the public managers have remained the same as well as the hedge fees, uh, the hedge, hedge, hedge related managers. The one that has grown the most that basically contributes the, the increase in the management fees from last year to this year is on the private side. So the private managers have increased are the uh, is the main reason why our fees have in, uh, our management fees have increased uh, incrementally. And on the right side, we have the hedged allocations. Um, their their weights uh, on the right side. And just to clarify, when you say hedged allocations, this is not our allocation to hedge funds. So maybe it clarify. Is, it is our allocation to hedge funds. So, so 2022 was a, um, our hedge fund managers did, um, they did fairly, uh, they did uh, well. They've, they've maintained their um, AUM in a, in, a, uh, in, a, in a difficult environment. And so um, the allocation to those hedge funds, even though they might remain the same, the, the uh, the percentage-wise, it's it's increased. So, so our allocation remained the same at three percent, but because of performance fees, they're 
All right, so the language is, is confusing a little bit. Yeah, mm. it, this is just to show mm. passive, public, public, mm -hmm. private, and hedge separately in mm -hmm. categories. Okay. We will, maybe we should just say reducing allocation to instead of hedge strategies to hedge funds or something. Yeah. No. Yeah. Uh, we can make that change before it goes to the council. Okay. I do have a question. Yes. Back on your slide that showed the total fees. Yes. And it showed the big jump, not just a big jump in percentage for incentive fees, but a big jump in absolute dollars for incentive fees. And I was wondering, I didn't quite understand why there was such a big jump jump in 2021. It's nice to see it's lower in 2022, but. Uh, it's not nice, actually. Oh, it's not nice. Okay. So the, the jump in 2021, if we can go to the previous page, that shows the return. So 2020, yeah. great return for the plan, 16% right. in the calendar year. 2021, the return is only slightly better, 16.5%. But the source of that return is quite different. So in 2021, private markets were actually generating a lot of that okay. return. So the, as a result of that, the private managers were accruing large incentive fees. Whereas in 2022, we had a negative 9% return. Yeah. Some of those were negative uh, allocations okay. for incentive fees. So it's accrued, right? So this, this, this year would have been, as, as expected, um, they've dropped. Okay, great. Any other questions from trustees? I just wanted to make a general comment. Okay. I have, I have a well, I, I, when, whenever you grab for the for, for the microphone, I assume you want to speak. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I just you know I say this to the council every year. I want to say this to the board because we do have new trustees. We take fees very seriously. We take expenses very very seriously. And part of the reason and the and the reasoning behind cutting our hedge fund fees was that. Uh, while hedge funds can play a, a vital role in a, in a plan, I just felt that there were better alternatives and cheaper alternatives, and which is one of the reasons we cut. We didn't want to pay 2 and 20 fees. Yeah. And, and the team actually tracks this. We don't show this to, to you all. Uh, Dinesh actually tracks it on a spreadsheet, how much we've negotiated down fees. Yeah. And believe me, you don't want to be the other side of Dinesh when you're negotiating <laughs> fees. Uh, he single-handedly has saved us millions of dollars in, in cutting fees. And Trustee Chandra asked the question earlier, uh, nothing like a downturn in the markets to help us negotiate fees down. Uh, so I, I always like to say this, I'm gonna say this once more, Trustee M9, formerly of the Police and Fire Board, used to say that the only free lunch in investment management is lower fees. And we believe that, and we take that very seriously. So we will present this also to your, uh, to the police and fire board, and then take this to the council in November. Great, certainly happy to see lower fees, and everything we can do to negotiate lower fees is money in our pocket. Okay. Any other questions from trustees? Any from members of the public? Okay, hearing none, we will move to the next agenda item. Uh, under old business, we have nothing. Under new business, we had changed 5E uh, to be heard next in the hopes that uh, Trustees Faulkner and uh, Chandra could be here, and we have failed in that goal. But uh, I believe the subject was uh, completely and thoroughly discussed in our closed session, mm -hmm. so we can move forward to simply uh, approving the, uh, the MPP increases that 
were approved or, or uh, that were uh, discussed and broadly agreed upon in closed session. And for the CEO, uh, who earned a commendable rating uh, for this year, uh, we have approved or a recommendation of a 3% MPP. And for the CIO, we have approved a recommendation of a negotiating range of 4 to 8% for the CIO. Uh, I believe we need to formally vote and approve both of those. So if we can have a motion uh, to accept both of those recommendations, we can take them together. So move, Mr. Chair. So we have a motion from Trustee Linder. Do we have a second? I second. We have a second from Trustee Abbott. Any further discussion from trustees? Any public comment? Uh, Mr. Chair, can you add in the motion the sacred days that you are recommending? I believe for the CEO, they are commensurate with the number of days uh, for the commendable rating, which I believe is five, but I need to look that up. It, it could be either yeah, four or five. five. Yeah. Okay, it it is, could be three to five. Okay, it is five. And, yeah, uh, I mean, it's between three and five, but okay. five, five and appropriate with a 3% increase. And for the CIO, I believe we're going to leave that subject to negotiation between police and fire and uh, ourselves and uh, authorize uh, Trustee Chandra to have that discussion with uh, the police and fire representative. I believe uh, Council Member Davis had a comment. Thank you. I just uh, clarifying question. I think you, you just clarified it, but the negotiating range you're talking about is to to be negotiated between this board and the police and fire board. Correct. Is that correct, because they haven't made their determination yet either. Not their final determination. I understand they have approved a range for their labor negotiator. And uh, they have approved a range for the CEO labor negotiator as well. And so we have, in the case of the CEO, barely overlapped with their range. Uh, is there any reason not to mention what that range is in public session? I'm not hearing yes uh, or no, but. It, it, I wouldn't do that right now. Okay. So uh, we were aware and cognizant of the range that police and fire approved in both cases and that figured into our deliberation. Can you explain for the public how the, how the negotiation process between the two boards works for this compensation, please? Um, I wish I could. Uh, and that's, that could be a question for, for council. Okay, if they have a better idea, it's, it's a bit. So initially, the way we do it is that the first, the first stage we do is the performance evaluations um, that we do in closed session for evaluating the merit, just the straight up performance, you know, commendable, outstanding, and whatnot. At the second meeting, then we, once we've got that down and both boards have decided that, um, at the very next meeting, each of the um, boards in closed session will appoint a labor negotiator, or will have a labor negotiator appointed, and during closed session, the board provides the labor negotiator a, a range for compensation to uh, negotiate with our sister uh, system here, which would be federated. And so once both sides have gotten their ranges uh, authorized by the boards, then they're able to then go negotiate with each other first, um, because we have to have a unified. It's a unique position here because the CEO and the CIO report to two separate boards, and so we do need to reach some sort of agreement between the two ranges before we can even approach these two positions, the, the people who are holding these two positions. 
And so that's, that's the process we've gone through. The last board meeting we had for police and fire, they authorized the range. And then um, today, Federated has, has also authorized their range. And so at this point, we're in the negotiation stage, but now that we've um, got the ranges, um, to see if there's any you, you know, common ground between the two boards. And then once we've decided that, we will then negotiate with the, the two um, positions. And I'll just add that my somewhat flippant comment is addressing the fact that should the two boards not agree to a single number, there is no formal reconciliation right. process. So it's unknown what would happen if we fundamentally had a different position. Okay, thank you. And just to be clear uh, about the negotiator, is that a member of the board? That's correct. Each of the um, boards will designate and vote on um, a, a labor negotiator for each position. Great. So generally speaking for the CIO position, that has been the chair of the investment staff or the investment committee, properly so. And then um, as for the CEO, it's generally the chair. Okay, thank you. And for our board, that is who was appointed uh, designees in both right. cases. So myself and Trustee Chandra. Okay, so uh, did we have the vote? We had the motion. No we had the motion and no vote. Uh, any, any further comments? Any further public comments? So we had uh, a single motion to accept both uh, proposed uh, MPP increases. Uh, we'll have a roll call vote. Uh, Trustee Avasti? Aye. Uh, Trustee Abbott? Aye. Trustee Linder? Aye. Trustee Jennings, Vice Chair Jennings? Aye. And I vote aye as well. The motion passes. And that does include the executive days. And it includes the executive days in the case in the case of the CEO of and CEO. arrange for the CIO to negotiate. Mr. Chair, the executive days are up to five days. And we so said five, five. No, no, but I'm just saying yeah. for the CIO, you can actually approve the executive days. It's not going to be more than five days. Mm -hmm. and That's true. It won't be less than five days. So that you can approve today, and then police and fire will certainly approve five days. Yeah, the uh, executive yeah. days are standard. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. Exceptional get or outstanding okay. gets five days. Okay. Commendable gets between three to five days. Okay. Well, I'll entertain a motion to uh, establish a number of executive days for the CIO position. Do we have such a motion? Can I ask what executive days are? What are executive <laughs> days? <laughs> executive days are um, so you. You get vacation, and um, that's standard. Um, but executive days, when you are a manager, you get um, up to five days that have to be taken within the calendar year. I believe it's the calendar year, and might be the fiscal year. And they do calendar not year. carry over. So, vacation days essentially. <laughs> Yeah, okay. <laughs> makes sense. Yeah. So would anyone like to formulate a proposal for the proposed, suggested uh, executive I days? propose, uh, I motion that we um, put in writing the five days of executive days for the CIO as policy. Okay. I'm going for, I mean, as, yeah, that for the CIO, we put forward five executive days as part of the MPP. Is there a second to that motion? Second. We have a second from Trustee Linder. Any discussion by trustees? Any public comment on the motion? We will vote. Vice Chair Jennings? Aye. Trustee Avasti? Aye. Trustee Abbott? Aye. Trustee Linder? Aye. 
And I will vote aye as well. So uh, congratulations, uh, Mr. Pani. You have an extra five days. Thank you. Okay. Uh, hope you use it to reflect use upon it. some of your decisions. <laughs> uh, we will now move precisely, precisely. Great. We'll move to the next agenda item, 5A now, an oral update from the CEO, Mr. Pena. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Um, just a few comments. Um, as you know, this is September, uh, and we're getting close to the annual uh, healthcare open enrollment for our retirees that takes place in the month of November from November 1st to the 30th. Packets uh, for retirees will be sent next month. And this uh, open enrollment month includes uh, in-person health fair as well as virtual online webinars. The health fair uh, right now is scheduled for November 8th at the Leninus Center between 10 a.m. and 2 p.m. Staff is also presenting uh, the healthcare information uh, to the uh, Retiree Association at their meeting uh, October 12th. Um, we also are on the way on the executive assistant recruitment. Uh, we actually have scheduled final interviews for next week. Our goal is to have uh, someone on board uh, for the first part of October. Uh, the recruitment for our benefit uh, health analyst was completed uh, with the hiring of uh, Tram Wynn, and she uh, start day is early October. Um, we also <coughs> requested and, uh, and scheduled uh, a higher um, overstrength position for a benefit disability analyst. Uh, I don't know if you, I think we have mentioned this before, but our benefit disability analyst is actually retiring this year. And so we are bringing someone in uh, to work uh, and train in that area. And um, they are expected to start early in November. We are also hire a senior office specialist to start October 2nd. Um, they work with the administrative staff, uh, which is short right now of a, a staff specialist as well as the executive assistant, so they need their help. And lastly, uh, the office will be closed on Monday, October 9th, in observance of the Indigenous Peoples' Day. Um, two more comments, I apologize. We also have a brand new accountant that we want to uh, welcome, Tran Vo. She started working with us uh, early uh, in September in the accounting group. And the RFP for uh, <coughs> insurance brokers was posted uh, last week, and it runs through the end of the month, September 29th. Uh, that concludes my comments, Mr. Chair. I'm happy to uh, address or answer any questions. Thank you. Thank you. Are there any questions from trustees? Any questions from the public? Hearing none, we'll move to the next agenda item, 5C, uh, discussion and action authorizing CEO to negotiate. Oh, I think you skipped over 5B. Yes. Oh, I'm sorry. My apologies to the council member. <laughs> Oral update from our city council <coughs> council member Davis. Thank you. I just want to give a quick update on an action that we took last week, Tuesday, and that was an approval of the um, terms of our uh, labor negotiations. And so, in addition to approving the the bargaining agreements, we also um, had to cut our general fund budget 
um, by a commensurate amount for the current fiscal year, and then there's some projections for needing to do so in, um, in the following couple of fiscal years to, to pay for the, the raises for our, that, that are, we gave in the, in the um, agreements, excuse me. <coughs> so um, the, what was passed was a motion from uh, Council Member Pam Foley, and that was with um, the staff recommendation and contracts agreements, but also a, uh, a memo that she co-authored with Councilmember Jimenez and I believe Councilmember Cohen, which added, um, basically took some additional funds from council offices and the mayor's budget to to help keep Viva Calle running as a as a program um, in this current fiscal year. So there were some some other sort of minor things, but. We, we had to cut the budget, I think it was about 2.3 million, if I'm remembering correctly, and um, we cut $10,000 for each council office and then $100,000 from the mayor's office to, to give us $200,000 to continue with the Viva Calle program. And I'm sure budget discussions will be um, contentious and very long and start in probably February or March of next year. So we have a few months reprieve until then. That's it. Um, Councilmember Davis, didn't uh, Councilmember Batra also put forward the, um, if there is a revenue surplus uh, at, at the end of this year that the non-personal uh, of 350,000 will go back to placemaking? I thought I saw that. That was an amendment to the motion, yes, and um, that that did that did get added to the motion. Yes, thank you for that reminder. However, there are a couple of other preceding um, items that were passed by the council during the budget about excess funds, um, surplus funds. So that that is last in line at the moment. Mm -hmm. So those Do you know how much um, those other items added up to? Just a range. I mean, it doesn't have to be exact. Um, they're in the millions of dollars because they were for uh, homelessness. Mm. <coughs> anything, okay. anything else to report from council? No, just that those all those surplus funds, those decisions will actually be made by by council when it, when the. Um, the year end comes comes to us, so we will make those decisions, and we can re rebalance and redecide at that time. Okay. Uh, any questions from trustees? <coughs> any questions or comments from the public? So, hearing none, thank you so much, Council Member, and we will now now move to five C discussion on an amendment to the agreement uh, between uh, the board and Reed Smith. So, so this item is to add six hundred thousand dollars as the first amendment to the original contract for Reed Smith, increasing the maximum contract amount to one point six million. When the original contract was drafted in twenty twenty as a result of an RFP for legal services, Reed Smith incurred an average of less than two hundred thousand dollars a month in expenses, which included their general counsel invoices as well as their hourly fiduciary invoices. 
Um, as you can see in the memo, the annual average for the past three years of the contract is almost $300,000. There isn't really a significant reason for the increases, but it's just due to um, many different issues. Uh, we're asking for $600,000 to cover the remaining two years left in the contract. So after this contract term is over, we will most likely be back to extend the term and add more funds to the contract since it will only have been five years since the RFP. Um, according to Cortex, best practice is to issue an RFP for legal services every 10 years. Does anybody have any questions? Any questions from trustees? Okay, so I think we need uh, action. We need a motion to accept this uh, recommendation. Do we have such a motion? Move approval of this recommendation. Uh, thank you, that was Trustee Linder. I Is second. there a second? I second. That's a second from Trustee Avasti. Any further discussion from trustees? Any public comment on the motion? <coughs> we will vote. Uh, Vice Chair Jennings? Aye. Trustee Avasti? Aye. Trustee Abbott? Aye. Trustee Linder? Aye. And I vote aye as well. The motion carries. Now on to 5D, another uh, expense item uh, for the agreement with Granicus. Who will present on this? Oh, okay. Okay, please. Hello, everyone. So this memo is about the Granicus agenda management uh, software and services. It is used for creating, managing, and sharing the meeting agendas. It enables the staff to create items and assign them to the appropriate agenda. It integrates the agenda data with the iPad. That's the iLegislate application that you all are using on your iPads. So the proposed Fifth Amendment would extend the contract term by an additional year uh, until October 31st, 2024 for an annual cost of approximately $8,000. We are requesting the boards to extend the contract agreement termination date for Granicus to October 31st, 2024, to allow the boards to continue using the software for their board agenda management. Great, thank you. Any questions from trustees on this contract? So again, we need a motion to accept the recommendation. Do I hear one? So moved, Mr. Chair. I have a motion from Trustee Linder. Is there a second? I second. We have a second from Trustee Avasti. <coughs> uh, any trustee comment on the motion? Any public comment on the motion? Uh, we will vote. Vice Chair Jennings? Aye. Trustee Avasti? Aye. Trustee Abbott? Aye. Trustee Linder? Aye. And the chair votes aye. Memo passes. Thank you. Okay, we're on to committee reports. Item 6-1, Investment Committee. Our IC Chair, Mr. Chandra, is not here. Uh, we uh, reviewed and discussed the changes to the IPS that were voted on today at our last meeting. We also had a presentation on uh, some investment uh, ideas and, and views from a particular analyst. And our next meeting is scheduled for December 19th. Uh, we don't, do we need a motion to accept the minutes? Just receive and file. No, just receive and file. Receive and file. The governance committee, it looks like they haven't met since February 16th, so. We I are working with staff, Mr. Chair, and mm -hmm. members of the uh, board to come up with some options since this is a joint meeting with police and fire ultimately will be. It was one I had to have canceled on September nope. 7th, but I spoke with uh, Mr. Pena and we are gonna have some dates to work on. Okay. So. 
Uh, audit committee, uh, believe they will meet after this meeting today, but is there any update you'd like to share, uh, Chair Avasti? No, I don't have any updates. The last meeting was on May 18th, mm -hmm. and we are expecting to discuss okay. the procurement audit report and the other items. I'll have a, uh, an update in the next board meeting. Okay. Uh, Disability Committee, that is uh, Chair Linder. Yes, we are scheduled to meet October 2nd. Mm -hmm. I've been informed that while the first meeting was pretty smooth, the second meeting will be a little more rocky. Okay. Which be. is why we're as a committee. So we'll be, we'll be ready. But we'll right. meet on October 2nd. I'm sure you will execute uh, with a great uh, Execute speed. is a weird word to use in this perhaps, context. Perhaps a, poor, <laughs> perhaps a poor, choice of, uh, poor choice of words. No, but thank you. And uh, joint personnel, again, uh, Vice Chair Chandra is not here. We last met in May. Uh, we uh, do need to meet on any number of issues that uh, need further discussion. So hopefully we'll have a yeah we, we are a meeting scheduled. We soon. have reached out to trustees and trying to uh, to schedule the, yep. the next meeting. And Mr. Chair, can mm -hmm. I bother you to receive and file yeah. the minutes for the disability committee? Yes, uh, I will receive and file <coughs> minutes from the disability committee. Thank you. Okay. Um, item seven: Education and training. Uh, you have your various reports. Uh, Associated with that, uh, Cortex, Calipers, Sackers Fall conferences coming up. Uh, under proposed agenda items or other, uh, I believe uh, Trustee Linder has an announcement to make. It's just a quick, um, you will be receiving soon an invitation from the uh, uh, San Jose Retirees Association for our annual holiday luncheon. You'll be getting it from one of our, I think our secretary to the members of the board, the staff, and to our council member liaison. It's gonna be December 6th at Three Flames in, um, on Meridian. And we encourage you to think about joining us. You'll be acknowledged as the, uh, the board of trustees as well as uh, acknowledging our, uh, our city council liaison. It's usually an entertaining meeting, so. Mm -hmm. It, it'll be coming your way, and I'll keep reminding you in future meetings. Just so thank you, Mr. Mm -hmm. Chair. Okay, thank you. Uh, any other proposed agenda items? Hearing none, this meeting is adjourned. Thank you.